friends here at St. John's, and it's a real honor to be asked to deliver the message to you this morning. I pray that the Holy Spirit, in the season of Pentecost, where we honor the third person of the Godhead, would give you words that would help us to enrich our Christian lives and to gain Christian knowledge. In this first part of the message today, I'd like to have the children come to the front of the church for their own little message. So we'll wait till as many as would like to come to the front and sit on the steps here. Let's see, what's the closest thing to the Earth in out there in space? 
It could grow 50 moons inside the Earth. But not, you know, only one moon falls down. How far away do you think the moon and the Earth are from each other on this scale? Now, we're going to move them apart here, and you tell me when to stop. They say that the Earth. Are they? Are they? Stop. No? You had one right one, one wrong one, 50%. He's right. <coughs> we stop here. <clears throat> That's about how far it is. In fact, if you put it together, there would be about 30 of them. 30 moons to get over there. Well, let's see. You think he holds the moon? Why not? Right, there's nobody up there. Maybe we can talk. Of course, that doesn't bother some people if anybody's missing it. Doesn't talk to now, what's the next thing? Past the moon that shines out there in the daytime. The sun, right. Now let's see, we gotta have the sun up here. You wanna be the sun? Okay. How big, wait, I don't have any more marbles here. Make, how big do you think the sun would be? Is that big enough? The earth's come over here once you gotta get out of the way here. You can put your arms down in the meantime, we're gonna figure out how big the sun is. Is that big enough? Bigger. Come up here. Hold your arms out. Make a big circle. Hold his hands. Is that big enough? Not big enough. Let's get two more. Open up the circle. Let's get four more. Everybody make a circle. Four of them. Let's see how big that gets. Is that big enough? Is that big enough? Move eight. And the rest of them up here. All four more. Make as big a circle as you can. All the thing. Okay. Now it's getting a little better. Let's make it as big as we can. That's about how big the sun is. How many Earths do you think we could put in here? Hundred. Who needs more? Thousand. You know any bigger numbers? Hundred thousand. You want to go higher? One million three hundred thousand Earths we could put in here. And that's how big the sun is. Wow, when we sang before that God made the sun and the moon and the earth and everything, we freely making it big. Thirty years ago. Come back. We're going to figure out now how far E.T. would have flown if he were from Earth to the Sun. We're going to send him down the aisle here, and you tell us when to stop. Okay. Hold the Earth up. You can see it. Can you stop? No. He doesn't like it. Go on. Farther. More? More? Okay, he said farther. Keep going. Did he get far enough? Okay, we better stop. He's leaving church. <laughs> Do you know that if the sun were this size, the earth were that size, you'd have to go down the highway 29 before you got to the right distance? And that's just to the sun. Do you think E.T. talked as far as the sun? Why not? That's right. Too hot there. That's right. So he'd have to go farther. Where do you think that? You better come back. Where do you think the next star would be? Where would 
we have to put the next sign? The first one after the sun. Vegan? No. Do I hear Peoria? Do I hear Chicago? That's where the next one would be. That's the closest one. Wow. That's pretty far, isn't it? Now we better sit down again before we all get tired because we don't have enough kids to make any more stars. But what I'm after now is, why, where do you move at? Oh, you better move back to it. Can you think of another ET who came here at Christmas time? Who? Jesus, right? In fact, he said he was an ET. He said, I came and I want to take you with me where I'm going. Where is he going? He's going to heaven. That's out there too, isn't it? Now, if we're down, are we ETs too? Are we going somewhere? Yeah. Yes. And what should we be doing if we're going here? And what can we do all the meantime? Pray. So when we're praying, we're falling home. So we're ETs. And Jesus, the ET, came down to show us the way. He cleared up the phone lines. Do your parents sometimes complain that the phone bill is too high? Yeah, yeah. I think ET used our phone last month. How much does it cost to phone home for a Christian? The cost of God? Nothing. If you had three phone calls in your house, how often would you call people? All the time. All the time. Yeah, that's what we can do. You know what we can do when we get home from church today and sit down for lunch? You know what you can do? Say, let's fall home. Let's fall home today. And everybody gets on the line. And how long does it take for our prayer to get out there? God. Right away. Right. You know these stars, some of them are so far away that if ET phone today by radio, it would take years and years for the phone call to get out there. That's how big it is. And yet God tells us, phone home and I will answer you. Call upon me the day of trouble, he says. We call phone home today. Thank you. Congregation, please rise. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The word of God I would like to use for this brief message is in the Old Testament reading for this 13th Sunday in Pentecost, the book of Jeremiah, Chapter 23, where the Lord says, Am I a God at hand and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh 
the rock in pieces. So far the word of God may be seated. People have been trying to understand why E.T. became so popular last year. The producers of the movie were absolutely surprised that it became so popular. Young and old alike find something intriguing about E.T. And every opportunity we get, whether we study the subject or not, we want to know what is the latest information about whether there is really life out there. Is there extraterrestrial life? In fact, it's, the subject has a title. ET is really the center part of a longer phrase, S-E-T-I. In science, S-E-T-I means the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. And millions and millions of tax dollars are being spent every year on S-E-T-I. What is it producing? Last week, the latest E.T. story hit the front page. Scientists in California announced that for the first time, evidence of planets or possible planets beyond our solar system was discovered. Now you can go out tonight or any night it's clear in the next few months and look straight up in the sky about 8 o'clock and you'll see the star they're talking about. The brightest star in the summer sky is straight up at 8 and it's called Vega, V-E-G-A, Vega. And scientists last week announced that there is solid material around the star Vega. Now that star is pretty far away. It takes 26 years for the light to get here. When you look at Vega tonight, the light you see started there 26 years ago. And now we're saying that there is a possibility that there are planets around that star. And we're going to send messages there. And we're going to see whether 52 years from now we get an answer. Most of us won't hear this one. <laughs> is it true? Is that a true story about Vega? We've been told so many things in the past by scientists and others that turned out to be wrong later, we're getting a little skeptical. We're told that atomic energy will solve all our problems. This was told us after World War II, we had boundless energy. And then later it turned out it wasn't all that good, that there were dangers involved. What is true and what isn't true? That's what everyone wants to know, Christians, unbelievers, Parents, children, old and young. The older you get, in fact, the more you wonder whether people are teaching you the truth. You go to grade school and they tell you something, high school they find out it's wrong. Your parents tell you something, later a teacher tells you something else. What is true? Pilate said to Jesus, what is truth? He wasn't being sarcastic, you know. He wanted to know. He was on a spot. His Greek teachers told him there is no truth. Nobody knows any truth. Just do what you think is right. If it works, it's true. That's called pragmatism. There are all kinds of approaches to what true is. And as Christians, we have to answer that question. You know, when I bought this poster in the store, 
the store owner looked at me kind of funny. And he says, what are you going to do with this poster hanging in your bedroom? A uh, guy like, what's a grown-up man doing with this poster? And I said, I'm going to use it in a sermon. Sermon? What religion is that? Don't you know he said that that's make-believe and sermons are about truth? I said, how do you know this is make-believe? And how do you know what the truth is? Somebody told you, right? Was it a big shot and you believe him? No. There are other approaches to truth than just believing what somebody tells you. And one way is to study it, to use your reason. We grow up and supposedly we get more sensible as we get older. And God is talking to us in this text when he says, Am I a God at hand and not a God afar off? Now in teaching we call that a rhetorical question. It doesn't require an answer. It's like somebody or a parent talking to his kids and saying, aren't you a dummy? Well, he doesn't have to answer. You're trying to tell him you are. God isn't asking whether we believe this. He says, I am a God at hand. I am a God afar off. Nobody can hide from me. Your brains tell you that. The more we study the universe, the more we find out that we don't know very much. A person who says he knows everything is not very educated. Don't hang around with a person who says, just ask me, I'll tell you. But go to someone who says, we don't know, but let's try to find out. And the more we study, the smaller the particles we study, the larger the distances to the galaxies, the more we realize that we cannot grasp it. Einstein himself said that the most convincing proof of the existence of God is the order in the universe. The very fact that it's organized, Einstein said, convinces him that God made it. And this is true of scientists all over the world. You don't find it in their textbooks because, at least in this country, because we have funny laws saying that you cannot talk about God in the schools. That's a very sad situation. That's not true in other countries. That's a peculiar law in the United States. You mustn't tell students that the scientists who wrote the books believe in God, and yet they do. I've had occasion to talk to them in many countries, and they universally believe that there are limits to what we can learn and that there is more, much more, beyond our understanding. And in most cases, they will tell you that it is God who has done it. We just returned from Indonesia a few weeks ago where once again we saw the sun go dark at noontime. A very dramatic thing. A total eclipse is, in my view, the most dramatic act of God in his universe. Bright sunshine at noon, and in a few minutes' time, it gets pitch dark, and the stars come out. Now, what is the effect of that on people? We were the only Christians in this land in Java of millions of Buddhists, 12 in our group in a large field where there were many, many other natives of Java. And when the sun went dark, 
a man standing next to me tapped me on the shoulder and said, I now pray to God. He did not know much English, but he wanted me to know that he realizes that God is responsible for this and that he's now praying to him. And I felt foolish as a Christian sitting here and a heathen comes to me and says, don't you realize that now we're seeing the mighty works of God? And then the radio started in Indonesian and English and said, now we not only pray, but we begin now our month of fasting where we will more easily through the fasting recognize the role of God in our lives. The presence of God in the universe is universally known. Every civilization worships a God. Sometimes they use idols, sometimes they use things like money and power, but they universally worship something beyond their own reasoning power. But what people cannot do by looking at the universe, or by thinking about distances in space, or by using their own reasoning power, is to answer the question of what does God want with us? How did he make the universe that we can study? The stars, the atoms, but not what that means in our lives. Or as one scientist told me, we can answer questions that begin with how, but we can never by ourselves answer questions that begin with the word why. Why did this happen to me? Why am I here? Why is there a universe in the first place? There simply is only one answer to those questions, and that is God only knows. I've come to the point in my classes in high school and college where I tell the students on the first day, any question that begins with why, either if you ask it or if I ask it, has only one answer, and that is God only knows. And if you write that down, you'll get 100%. See, I can say that even in a public institution, because it's true. And students will come up after class and say, tell us more about this God who knows. I said, I'm not allowed to do it in class, see me later. God only knows, and he tells us. And if we don't have the humility to go to his word, then we will never find the answers. There are people who are too proud to believe that God gives us simple answers in his word. One of those people was our president, Thomas Jefferson. When Thomas Jefferson was in the White House, a great scientist, humanitarian and all, great politician, wrote the Declaration of Independence. When he was in the White House, he took a pair of scissors and went to the Bible and cut out all the parts he couldn't believe and pasted the other parts together in a little book that he called the Jefferson Bible. You go to the library now, you can take it out, it's very thin. He couldn't believe the miraculous stories in the Bible. He couldn't believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth as the Son of God to redeem mankind because his reason stood in his way. He was too proud to let go and let God. We've got to take that leap of faith and answer our why questions by believing that his word is true. Not just the parts we like, not just the parts that agree with our ideas, 
but the whole book, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, God tells us. It's all there and all true. Now many people find this to be contradictory, especially young people when they first learn about their reasoning power in school. They say, oh, there are contradictions between what I'm learning in school and what it says in the Bible. There are no contradictions. We learn in school how God made things. We learn in the Bible why he made them. The contradictions are in the stupidity of people, not in the two revelations of truth, the how approach and the why approach. It is all God. And what a privilege to be able to tell him so that he has enough love for us that we can love him in return for this. How far should we phone since we're ETs? You know, the Bible talks about being on a pilgrimage. We're all pilgrims. We sing in hymn 515, I'm but a stranger here. Well, if we're strangers here, we shouldn't get so attached to the things that are in this temporary abode of ours. When you go to a foreign land to take a trip, you don't get attached to those places. You don't say, oh my, now I'm going to get involved here and involved there. No. You're passing through. And you're passing through for a purpose. The purpose is in the Old Testament reading also. He says, is not my word like as a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. And the gospel for today, by the way, saying Luke chapter 12, has Jesus saying something very similar. He says, I am come to send fire on the earth. You don't light a fire and have it go unnoticed. We're Christians because we should set things on fire. And if we're not making a little ripple somewhere, then maybe we're not lighting a fire. Jesus goes on in the gospel and says, Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth. I tell you no, but rather division. In a family there will be three against two, and a father against the son, and a son against the father, and so on. Why? Is Jesus teaching them to hate each other? No. He's telling us that in a family one will believe and another will not. And they're going to be at odds. We should expect trouble when we light fires and break rocks in pieces. I read the other day that Mrs. Madeline Murray O'Hare was in Peoria. She's probably the loudest mouth atheist in the United States. She is so vicious about her, I almost said unbelief in God. She doesn't have an unbelief in God, she has a hatred of God. If she didn't think God existed, she wouldn't yell so loud. But she just doesn't like the fact that God wants her to do certain things. And so she viciously attacks the teachings of God. And what was the result? Her own son became a Christian. Her son became a Christian recently. And she was so upset by this that she said on the air, I want to tell my son that he should take 10% of the money that the Christians paid him for becoming a Christian 
and give that 10% to an atheist organization. You see, there is division. And it is not of our doing. You cannot force someone to believe. You can only show the other person what faith is. And as the reading from Hebrews tells us today, we have a great cloud of witnesses. That means we have examples in the Bible from Abraham on down of the changes in people's lives that are made when you take the leap of faith and say, my why questions are answered by the word of God. Now in closing, I think we can learn from E.T. and from scriptures that we're on a journey. And I should say, by the way, that this parallelism with E.T. is not something that I thought up. I had a chance to meet a movie producer recently who knows Steven Spielberg, the man who made this film. And he said, I want to tell you that there's a parallel between what you're telling us in this lecture and what this man is doing in this movie. He's telling people to be more spiritual by making this film. Did you notice, for example, that E.T. in the movie touches people with his finger and they are healed? Jesus touched people with his finger and they were healed. When E.T. leaves this earth in the last scene of the film, as he gets on board the ship, he says, I will be with you always. People are supposed to think about Jesus Christ when they see this film. He was rejected. He died. He was resurrected. There are a great many parallels. And the producer said to me, there's one difference between Spielberg and you. Spielberg is not as timid about preaching as you are. Why are you so afraid to tell people what you believe? Are you afraid they don't want to hear it? He said, if he makes a movie, the guy doesn't like it, he doesn't have to go in the theater. We've got to set a fire. And it seems to me that when it is all said and done, when Jesus spoke to his followers in the parable of the last day and said, now, here are the people who are mine, he didn't spend a lot of time talking about this fellow comes to heaven now because he didn't commit adultery or didn't commit murder or didn't steal. That's all taken for granted. The heathen do that too. But he talked to those people and said, they are mine because they loved each other. They showed love for each other. They just didn't refrain from evil. They were motivated to do the good and to do the good to people that hated them. When the Apostle Paul, or rather the, the disciple John, the last one of the disciples to die, according to tradition, the oldest one of them, the one who wrote the revelation of John, when he wrote his messages in the Bible to Christians, there was only one thing he could think of, and that is to tell them little children love one another, that's how they are known, he said. Look how these Christians love each other. Because only a person who follows God can truly love. God is love. It doesn't mean loving people who are lovely and lovable. It means loving people who do you dirt. The best thing we can do as ETs, phoning, how far should we phone? We should phone all the way. We should phone God and say, God, I love you. 
How in the world could you do this to us who hated you to save us? I love you for this. But it goes a lot farther than that. We should pick up the phone today and call somebody who hates our guts. Maybe a relative even. And floor him by saying, I love you. There'll be a long pause on the phone after that. Oh, they don't mean it. They must want something from me. See how they love one another. Should be the phone call. And God can give us the power to do that. We can't do it on our own. Revenge, that's the human reaction. Love, that's the message of Christ. May God empower us through his Holy Spirit to lead that kind of Christ-filled life. Amen. And now may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus so that we can truly express love for one another. Amen.